You are listening to The Tish with Rabbi Michael Knopf, a Jcast Network podcast. For more information about Rabbi Michael Knopf, please visit MikeKnopf.com. For more information about other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit JCastNetwork.org. Good morning, everybody. Um, it's, uh, it's good to be back. We had a little bit of a uh, hiatus because of... Uh, Pesach and uh, and other Narishkites, but uh, we're back to learn, so uh, looking forward to it. Um, so the, uh, the the premise of the class for those who uh, are somewhat newly joining us, uh, or those in cyberspace who are just picking up uh, uh, at this moment, is uh, what's the point of Judaism? Uh, and so we're uh, trying to go um, mitzvah by mitzvah through the Torah um, and uh, try to identify a rationale, a, a real human need that's, that's, uh, that the Torah is attempting to meet by uh, promulgating a, a given practice or law. Um, we've been uh, specially focusing on uh, the, the, the sort of uh, Goldilocks zone of things that are still operable today, things that are, are still we still practice today, and things that don't have an obvious rationale behind them, right? So the the commandment not to murder is still in operate is still operable today, but uh, but we can basically guess the rationale behind that. It's it's pretty uh, um, uh, reasonable and obvious. Um, so that's not really our Goldilocks zone. So, uh, and we've been going, roughly speaking, through the weekly parashiot, although uh, we dwelt for a while in parashat mishpatim because there were a lot of laws there. Um, and uh, then we went back and did a couple of things regarding Pesach before Pesach started. And now I want to pick up in uh, our weekly portion this week, which is uh, uh, chock full of, uh, of, of mitzvot, uh, many of which um, are still... Um, applicable today. Uh, many of the ones that are still applicable today um, are uh, uh, rationally apparent, right? Um, uh, the most famous, uh, of course, is uh, to love your neighbor as yourself. That doesn't mean it's easy. Um, it doesn't mean that it's obvious uh, in terms of how it should be done, um, but, uh, but why it should be done um, and why it's an important thing, um, why the Torah would teach something like that, that, that uh, doesn't necessarily need a, a, a whole class about. Um, uh, but So that's in, in the Torah portion. Lots of laws in, in the Torah portion under the general aegis of Kedoshim to you, Ki Kedoshim that you should be holy for I, the Lord your God, am holy. That's the, the preamble to the laws in, in this uh, week's Torah portion. So the law that I wanted to look at today is uh, um, in broad terms, called shatnez. Shatnez uh, uh, refers to one of a handful of things. Okay, so um, we're going to see uh, the first uh, of the um, the first of the permutations, which is mating two animals of different species together. Um, the other permutation is uh, is cross. Uh, uh, cross-germinating uh, plants and seeds and things like that. So you can't, you know, plant... Uh, there's a great Simpsons episode where they, they cross-breed uh, tomato and tobacco accidentally, and they come up with tobacco, which is like a disgusting but highly addictive tomato. Um, <laughs> Duff beer? Duff beer is a whole different story. But um, so, uh, so anyway, tobacco is uh, forbidden by the Torah, uh, or at least... the. Eating tobacco may not be, but but 
growing tobacco would be uh, forbidden by the Torah. And um, uh, and then and then finally, levishat um, shatnez. Uh, so wearing mixtures of certain kinds of uh, uh, fabrics. Uh, wool and linen are the are the two major ones. Um, so uh, and, and uh, that doesn't mean that I'm not allowed to wear a wool garment uh, with a like say a linen scarf on top of it or, or vice versa. Um, it means that I can't wear a garment where there are where the threads are interwoven, um, which makes it very much a closer connection to the idea of not mating or combining two species together. So why why do we have that law? That's really the the question, and uh, a lot of uh, and it's they're still operable today. Uh, you know, mo mostly in in clothing because most of us aren't really in agriculture anymore. Although those of us who have you know home gardens and things like that or are involved in agriculture, the laws would 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 apply. If you're involved in uh, animal husbandry, um, the laws would, uh, would would apply. There's questions about whether these laws apply in the field of uh, genetically modified. Uh, um, uh, 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 crops and things like that. I'm not going to really get into that because I'm actually not uh, so knowledgeable about uh, about that. Um, but uh, it seems logical to apply these laws in, in that field in one shape, one way, shape, or form. Um, uh, but uh, but uh, observant Jews uh, today um, uh, are are often very punctilious about uh, wearing shotguns and not wearing shotguns, I should say. And so you buy a suit and you go get it checked for uh, to make sure that uh, there's no linen threads mixed in with the wool. And people still abide by these laws today. So why do we have them? And and a lot of uh, um, Jewish legal authorities put this under a category of laws called chukim which uh, are uh, not rationally obvious uh, uh, laws, laws that have no, um, seem to have no uh, rational basis behind them. Uh, and maybe they're right, um, but uh, I, you know, and so there, the theory is that uh, God commands some laws just for the sake of commanding laws, right, uh, as a um, statement of uh, divine authority and, and obedience and things like that. So that may be, uh, uh, that may be a way of looking at it. Um, another way of thinking about it is that um, um, a, 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 a good and wise God um, would not command something with, for no reason uh, at all, um, um, because people don't generally tend to do things without uh, any reason. God is uh, certainly not less than a human being, right? so to do things capriciously um, uh, would make God in some way less than. So that's the theory that we're sort of operating with, with when we look at Hukim from this perspective, that there's got to be a reason that that God would have, uh, um, or the Torah would have given us the commandments. So we're looking at uh, Sefer Achinuch, which is a 13th century uh, legal text, but also offers a thought uh, for each commandment about the rationale. We'll use that as the jumping off point. Um, I take uh, a little bit of exception with his uh, view, but it's at least a place to start with. So he starts by saying this. I'll read in the Hebrew, but uh, you're happy. Welcome. We'll go in the English too. Misharshe Hamitzva, Ki Hashem Baruchu Bara Olamo, Bechokma, Bitvuna, Uvedat, Vasherzi, the Asa, Vetsier, Kohat Surot, Lefimashahayat, Sorach Inyano, Rauliot Mehuvanot, Kivun Haolam, Ubaruchu Hayodea. All right, so the root of this commandment, the, re the reason for this commandment is because uh, God, may God be blessed. Uh, created God's world with wisdom and with uh, discernment and with uh, knowledge, 
uh, and, uh, and, and made and created all of the created things um, according to whatever uh, uh, its uh, particular need was uh, to be filled. Um, uh, and uh, it was um, uh, prepared to fit the uh, purpose of that thing in the world. Right? Everything was created for a particular reason, a particular place within creation, uh, and, uh, and God created everything explicitly to fulfill that, uh, that purpose. Um, and, uh, and, and, uh, and God knows why God created everything. Right? So you say, well, you know, why did God create a gnat, right? Uh, it's just a bothersome creature. Right? God knows that the gnat has a purpose, and there is a purpose for the gnat. Um, and this is what's written uh, in the book of, uh, of Genesis. God looked at everything that God saw, and behold, it was very good. Right, so when God, when he's interpreting this commandment now, or this statement in Genesis, right, when God, when it says God looked out on everything, it means that God knew everything, understood everything uh, um, uh, 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 that, uh, that that was created. Um, God's vision is God's knowledge and understanding of things. For God, may God be blessed in the greatness of God's excellence, does not need the eyes sight of matters after they have come into being, since all is revealed, known and visible before God, before an act, just as after the act. I mean to say, right, um, everything that is created, God created for a particular reason. Right, you may not know the reason, right, for uh, for a given animal. You may not like what a particular animal or creature does, right, and so you want to change it or fix it, right. But God knows the reason, even if it's not readily apparent to you. So God created everything with uh, with, with knowledge and discernment and intention, right, and uh, and that's why it exists in the world. And how do you get at mutations? When... Yeah, I mean, because you talked about genetics, but that's causal. But mutations do happen in the nature. Meaning, God. meaning <laughs> natural mutations, right? right. Yeah. So that that's the exception that I take to um, uh, to what uh, the Sefer Chinuch says here. You have to forgive him a little bit because he lived, uh, you know, five centuries before Darwin. Um, uh, so uh, so I, I don't think he could have anticipated this, and and I think that there's a way of reading the Bible. Um, that that allows uh, for Darwinian evolution, um, which I'll come to in a minute. But uh, but he didn't know about that. I don't know if he knew of such a thing. I don't know if they had a language in the medieval period for mutations in, in that way. Um, and I think that they would have said that uh, a, a mutation wasn't random. A mutation was uh, uh, was divine pro- you know, due to divine providence, um, and and God. Uh, uh, had a reason for that mutation, which, by the way, is a way uh, is a religious way of uh, of looking at Darwin too, right? Darwin says that mutations are all um, you know random occurrences in nature. Um, a religious person doesn't have to see them as random, right? Um, a religious person uh, and, and science can't uh, say definitively that they're that they're random. Science can only say. Uh, accounting for the data, they're they're random based on what's observable and measurable. They're random, um, but God isn't observable or measurable. So um, a, a, a scientific person may not like that uh, that that answer, but it's certainly within um, within the limits of what science can tell us and can't tell us. Um, uh, saying that God is responsible for 
mutations within the Darwinian scheme um, is certainly a, a plausible thing. But anyway, but he, uh, I don't I, I don't know what, uh, what what the medievals thought about that. But they would that. not have bred a mutation, would they? Uh, not. Not purposefully. Not, not purposefully. Yeah. See, it's, what's interesting about it is that, uh, um, I, you know, I don't know the whole history of this, but it seems like even well before Darwin, people had a sense of genetics, right? Uh, people had a sense of how to, you know, breed dogs, for example, right? Um, yeah, although the red heifer, I, I'm not sure, is really a genetic thing. I mean, or, or I don't the think... Spotted, the spotted dog and... The, Oh, the spotted sheep in the right in, in Genesis, yeah, with uh, with with Jacob, right, um, right. So they they did have a sense of uh, of, uh, of of genetics. I mean, they had a sense of human genetics too, right? About how how you know what 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 features children would have in relation to their parents and things like that. So they had some sense of these things, um, which. Uh, you know, the Torah wouldn't have commanded don't mate two different species together, right, because uh, um, no one would do that unless they hoped they would get a third species uh, from the from the combination that had some features of one and some features of another, which is which is... Just... To keep the species pure and not mix them? Meaning, is that what the law is for? Yeah. Well, that seems to be what the Sefer Achinoch is saying, right? That, that God, we'll, we'll go a little bit further, but w that God created everything for a particular reason, and we don't want to uh, um, uh, play God, essentially, right? We don't want to um, uh, um, uh, uh, change what God has created, right? So God created a horse, right? And, um, and God created a horse for a reason. God didn't create it to make a mule, right? Um, and so... Uh, um, um, so that's a so that would be a problem. Yeah. And then there's a fear of, of mutation. Of what would happen after the fact if there were a mutation? M maybe. Uh, I I don't know if they're I, I don't know if they're I mean, so. If you mix two different breeds, you would never know what the breed that would be produced would be. Um, I mean, that's just my. Well, you you might well, one one could have all the dominant genes. Right. And therefore, the product looks like A, not right, B. B right. The same with fabric. Uh, right, right. Pure. Yes. So there, right, and there is a um, you know, the, it makes this very Levitical um, in a way. Right? Leviticus is very interested in the separation of things, right? The purity of things. Um, which is which is ultimately about uh, you know not not mixing things together, defining clear boundaries between things. Um, and you have that all over Leviticus, um, and it's even in Genesis. Right, the, the the biblical critics say that the first chapter of Genesis was written by the same author as the author of Leviticus, um, and so and you can see that you know um, literary trend in that first chapter of Genesis. Right, everything is created uniquely, individually. There's separation of things happening all the time. Right, and so the the worldview of those of of uh, of that school of thought is that um, is that in God's universe um, uh, things ought to have uh, very distinct and clear separations. Things have, have should have their own integrity, um, and we and and we should resist the temptation to blend things to mix things. Um, but also, I mean, in the medieval period, when, when he's writing, this is the, the ascendancy of the, the kind of Neoplatonism and the idea of pure forms of things as well. Right, right. That's true too. Right. So, um, and uh, the the idea is that uh, um, the way 
um, uh, the way things, the way God created things, um, and the way things uh, uh, are in, in in the created realm should remain as close to the to the ideal form of the of the uh, object as possible, right? So, um, so like this table, you know, there's a uh, there's there's a form of a table, right? Uh, that's 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 perfect and uh, um, uh, non corporeal and uh, um, you know uh, doesn't um, uh, doesn't decay, right? Um, uh, it's not finite, uh, right? And this is the um, the uh, um, a reflection of that form, but in reflecting that form is rendered imperfect, right? So, um, so it's a it's a good table, but it's not a perfect table, right? You know, so it's a good horse, it's not a perfect horse, but if we breed the horse in some other way, it'll be less close to that uh, ideal of a horse. Avala Torah to the in the next paragraph. Avala Torah to the Torah speaks to people in words that are intelligible to people and ascribes to uh, to the eternal God things like those which are ascribed to them. Um, for it's impossible to speak with a human being in any other terms be, but those known to him because who will understand uh, what it does not lie in his power to understand. Right? So um, so the Torah, when in talking about God, talking about God creating things, etc., um, and he's talking really more like uh, God seeing everything that was created and it was very good. And he's getting to this idea that God, uh, by seeing what, what it really meant is God deeply knew that it was the right thing to do. Right? Um, this is what the rabbi said about this. Right? In order to make the ear accept what it is able to comprehend. Uviyot yodea Elohim ki kola sher asa hu mechuvan bishlemut leinyano shehutzarich baolamo. Right, and so uh, since God uh, knew um, uh, everything that He did was uh, done with intention, with complete intention to fulfill um, a particular matter uh, that God needed in the world. Right, every um, uh, species has its own niche in the biosphere. Right, that's the scientific way of understanding that everything has its own uh, place in, in the biosphere. Right, and so God commanded every each and every species um, to uh, to uh, to issue its own progeny according to its own species. Right, uh, that's what is written in uh, in, in Genesis, uh, and the species should not be mingled. Pen uh, right? Because if the spe- species are mingled, their perfection, their wholeness, might be uh, compromised, um, and uh, then God wouldn't command God's blessing for them. And for this reason, as it seems to our mind, we were forget, forbidden to mate different species. Right? So, um, so that's, that's what Sefer Chinuch is. So, what, first of all, tell me what, how you understand what Sefer Chinuch is saying, and then tell me whether or not you agree with what he's saying. Well, I understand it as pure, mm. to keep everything pure and 
kind of isolated, mm -hmm. not to mix, which makes sense. Mm -hmm. However, um, <coughs> as the world changes, things change. Right. Um, and environmentally, we really couldn't get into prevent. We can't prevent environmental changes that happen with plants pollinating because of animals taking seeds from the one plant and putting it into another plant. I mean, that was God's control for our, we can control the environment. So God permitted that. Am I getting off? No, no, no. You're good. So if a bee takes a seed from another plant and drops it on another plant and we get a different type of plant, that's out of our control. But does God control that? Is God controlling that? This would say yes. Um, Probably. Yeah, it seems like it, right? It seems like you would say yes. And yeah. then we can consume that. Yeah. Okay, so then it's with the fabric. How do we know that a suit that's made of linen is pure linen? Because if the, if the where linen comes from and where wool comes from, that also cannot be necessarily 100% pure because of the environment. Animals are out grazing. Right. Wool comes from a sheep or a lamb, sheep, sheep. and uh, or lamb's wool. And I'm just, you know, so I know the the very uh, religious for me really are very clear about buying a suit that's pure wool. But I don't believe in today's in today's world. Yeah. There's such a thing as a pure wool suit. Yeah. I, well, I I think I, I hear what you're saying. Um, I think that, um, well, we'll show the talk. I think it's a matter of intent yeah. more than, because there's so much we can't control. But it's a matter of what you intend to do. Um, I think that's what said, yeah. basically. Well, I, I, in the wool context, I mean, you know, you've taken, you know, typically I assume there are fences that are put up to try to make sure that the result is a hundred percent wool. Yeah. You're right, Rizal, that maybe you can't put up every fence imaginable, but you've probably created a process that tries to do that. Right. Now, I, it's been a little while since I studied in detail the laws of Schottenaz, but I wouldn't be surprised if, I mean, the, the, in, and what Charles said that make, makes a lot of sense, um, that intent is a, is a part of it. Intent doesn't just mean um, that the, um, that the, um, uh, that the producer of the suit uh, had to intend to mix them together in order for them to be mixed, although that's part of it. But also intent is, um, uh, did you uh, did you intend to buy a suit that was entirely wool? Did you intend to have it checked? Or did you have it checked? So that's part of intent, too. But I wouldn't be surprised if there's a, uh, um, uh, an element of the law that is uh, similar to kashrut, where um, a, a certain quantity... Um, when it's accidentally, if, it, if even if it were if it were accidentally mixed in, um, is nullified if it's a, if it's a less than a certain volume, right? And I know it's not exactly the same, uh, but uh, but you know if if a, if a, f a flax seed you know happened to get into the sheep's wool and then got mixed in, you know, um, uh, my guess is that uh, that there's no intention in there, and the amount of the mixture is so uh, uh, small. Um, as to be uh, irrelevant. Right, so that's right. that quality yeah. control. We, yeah. we 
just have so much control. Right, right, exactly. We only have so much control, and uh, and there's only so much that a person can do before, you know, you essentially become a, uh, a sealed-off hermit, uh, you know, only drinking... Well, you can't drink water because it might have uh, right. microbial bacteria in it that are good, right? So there's, you know, there's a limit, right? The, the, the Mishnah uh, uses the phrase, in can in le devar right? If you allow, um, you know, uh, these minutia to, uh, of argumentation to trip you up, then there's no limit to it, and you end up not being able to live, right? And God, we, the Torah is for living people, not for uh, angels. I would take this, oh, I'm sorry, Arnold. I see a deeper meaning of this in a certain way. First of all, reading this section, it doesn't seem like there's a differentiation between animal and plants mm-hmm. as far as purity of the species is concerned. Right. Now, without God's intervention, you have a bee. A bee pollinates. Mm-hmm. It takes from one, goes to the other, and the pollination. And theoretically, it, it, you're, you're pollinating the plant, so it will produce reproduce from season to season. Mm-hmm. However, in a natural way, the bee may cross-pollinate. The bee goes to one plant, right. and without knowing what it's doing, right. may go to a different species, right. and in God's way, create yet a, a, a plant that has not existed mm-hmm. before. But, but, but it's God it, controlling that bee to that do that. Right. So, that right. so, so God uh, is contemplating a crossbreeding, but it's God's way of crossbreeding. When the human element comes in to take the place of God and force the crossbreeding, breeding, that leads to problems. Mm-hmm. And coming to the the, the, the Shoah, you can see that by man trying to interject uh, purely, it creates uh, uh, something that's completely uh, uh, unnatural and, and ungodly. Well, right, although... That's the, where I was going to go yeah. with this, too, and say, well, could Hitler have said, well, I'm merely following the laws of the Torah and tells me not to mix, so I want this Aryan species right. to, to be yeah. pure, which is sort of what he said. Right. So I, I, uh, that, that was going to be my question too. So I think that the difference is, um, that, uh, um, there, there, in order to, uh, in, in order to attain what Hitler wanted to attain, there had to be, um, uh, uh, very severe manipulation of the gene pool, right? Um, which is, uh, not only in some ways we, there were experiments that, uh, that that were done all over Nazi Germany throughout uh, um, the period of uh, you know eugenics and things like that, um, uh, but also you know uh, uh, an elimination of a tremendous amount of uh, genes from the gene pool um, through uh, violent means, and so that wouldn't be a fulfillment of this, and in some ways it would be a rejection of it because. Um, uh, because all, everything in God's creation uh, was created for a purpose and has a place, right? And so, uh, so that means that in, in much the same way that we can't um, make new species out of separate species, we also, are, I think, would, uh, the, the flip of it is that we're not allowed to eliminate species either, right? Um, uh, so this, even though the, the Torah doesn't have language for extinction, I think that the flip of this is uh, very strongly a commandment against uh, against our hand in, in extinct, uh, extinguishing species, um, it, which means that uh, 
humans all the more so, right, uh, that, that we can't ex uh, uh, um, make extinct a population of human beings. Well, can, I, uh, can I argue to that? And I'm not defending. Don't, don't misunderstand me. Um, can I argue, well, if it's not prohibited, then it's permitted. Isn't that often a precept that we use? Not in this particular section, but don't we often rely on that? If something's not prohibited, it's permitted? So, you, meaning making it did, species, This doesn't say explicitly you can't wipe extinct. out a species, yeah. Yeah, so, I, I guess there's a couple things I would say to that. First of all, it's not always the case that just because something isn't uh, uh, stated, right? Cannibalism isn't prohibited outright in the Torah, right? But uh, one would think reasonably that God would not permit cannibalism. Um, so not the Torah. It's impossible for the Torah to uh, to forbid or permit everything, every possible thing in existence. Um, uh, you know, I, I was uh, just thinking about. Well, anyway, I don't want to need to get into that. But uh, um, oh, that sounds good. We'll talk about. Yeah, later. we'll talk about that later. <laughs> uh, so it's, so it's just not possible. And, and the other is, I don't think that they had a, an awareness or sensitivity to the uh, you know assuming that the Torah was written by human beings. Um, I don't know if they had an awareness or sensitivity to the idea of the extinction of species. I don't know if it was a problem, uh, a human extinction of species in, in, in the ancient world. I actually, I don't know if it was a... plagues? Wouldn't that have been something where they would want to extinguish the cause of the plague? I don't think you know, that... Like the Black Plague? Well, first of all, I don't, like they, they didn't know for a long time what was causing the Black Plague, right? right? Um, uh, they thought the Jews were causing the Black Plague, right? Um, what else is new? Right. Um, so they didn't know for a long time what was causing it. It wasn't until the scientific revolution, really, that they that they figured out that it was uh, 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 bacteria. Um, so, so they didn't really know. So, I, so it's hard to impose on the Bible something they couldn't have plausibly known at the time. Um, but what, what I... And, and so what I'm about to say, you know, fits into that because I, I don't think that the Bible anticipated Darwin, but I do think that the Bible has um, a, a a real strong sensitivity to the importance of biodiversity, right? That uh, that 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 we have a, uh, a an extraordinarily diverse uh, biosphere, and whether you want to say that God created everything for a reason or that uh, or that everything has evolved to have its own important place in the biosphere and everything will continue to evolve um, to fill in a particular niche in, in the biosphere. Um, and you can uh, have God in that scheme or not, I think, uh, because uh, science, if it's honest, has to be silent on that question. Um, then, um, uh, then, uh, then it is, I think, um, a, uh, um, uh, an aberration for human beings to attempt to uh, extinguish um, any amount, any uh, element of that diversity from from the biosphere, whether whether by um, uh, whether by uh, forcing the hand of nature and uh, generating new species. By forcing the hand of nature and by generating new species, getting rid of older ones, because sometimes that happens when you create new species, the previous species, uh, um, uh, the, their, their genetics gets lost. Um, or by actively um, exterminating species, um, or, or in some ways by passively exterminating species, by taking actions that uh, result in the, um, in the extinction of species. Now, to a certain degree, um, uh, at least passively, it's not problematic, right? The, the Torah is uh, pretty clearly 
um, um, anthropocentric um, and says that uh, human beings have a have a special place within within the biosphere. So that means that uh, that that we don't have to totally sacrifice our interests for the interests of other species of the planet. But it does mean that we have to balance our needs and our interests with the needs of other species of the planet. So that means that we can't, you know, if there's a say a uh, um, uh, a medicine that can only be get in the rainforest, um, then uh, then I think that it's uh, um, uh, um, to a certain degree justifiable to cut down rainforests in order to get that uh, um, to get that cure. However, if that cure can be synthesized in a laboratory, then it would be uh, absolutely forbidden to cut down rainforests in order to get that cure. Um, so, so how does cost come into that equation? <laughs> well, um, that's, a, that's a good question. I, I, I think, I mean, not to get too uh, specific about it, but I think that uh, if if um, if if uh, if cost if uh, if the difference in cost is such that it would make it impossible for people to access um, the cure, um, then um, then I think that 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 would uh, that would make it. Um, uh, uh, implausible to get the cure, uh, but in the synthetic way. Um, uh, but I think that, uh, um, you know, we, we have a question on our end of the allocation of resources and things like that too. So, you know, if it's very expensive to synthesize a cure for a particular disease and it's cheaper to cut down rainforest, the question is, well, you know, um, are our communal resources being allocated in the right way um, in order to uh, to enable that? So it's not always so cut and dry as well. It's, you know, too expensive, so we got to cut down the rainforest. Um, usually there's a third way, which is if we um, scrimp in other places uh, that may be less urgent, um, then we can uh, accomplish what we need to accomplish. I mean, that's really the question in, in, uh, in climate change, which means that, you know, um, in order to, uh, to diminish um, the human uh, causes of global climate change, it means that we're going to have to change some degree of our lifestyle and we're going to have to make some uh, uh, sacrifices. Um, I don't think it, that we have to make sacrifices that make it impossible for uh, uh, human beings to continue to exist and flourish, um, but it does mean that we have to uh, make some honest and thoughtful choices about what we do. And that, the Torah would say, for sure we have to do. Um, uh, the Torah can't just say, well, you know, humans are more important than everybody else, so keep on doing what you're doing because it doesn't really matter what happens to anybody else. It doesn't say that. Um, but I think that that's really what's what's going on here, um, that uh, wh whether it's by divine providence in direct action in the world, right, God's causing the mutation, God's causing the bee to cross-pollinate God's, or it's built into the, uh, God, you know, it's built into the system of creation that, uh, um, that uh, um, uh, um, the, the continual evolution and the continual creation um, that happens in the world is uh, in some way um, divinely produced and divinely ordained. In any event, um, uh, everything that exists and continues to exist um, um, exists for a reason and, um, and um, and exists in some ways in its own uh, in its own harmony, um, and evolution ensures that things exist in their own harmony. Um, that applies to human beings as well. But human beings are different than the rest of creation in the sense of our consciousness. Right? We're aware 
of being aware. Um, and so that means that we have the ability to impose our will and to change creation in ways that may not be um, harmonious with creation. Uh, and therefore, we have more responsibility than, uh, than, uh, than any other, uh, very, we have more responsibility than the bee, um, which is, I think, one of the reasons why the, the Torah prohibits us from mating two different species, um, uh, because uh, it wants us to remain uh, aware and sensitive to the importance of diversity in the biosphere um, uh, as a manifestation of God's um, uh, greatness and continual creation. Um, and that's probably more important today uh, than it ever was. Um, we, the, the most widespread and rapid extinction of species is happening today more than at any other point in, in uh, the history of the planet. Um, and human beings are the cause of it. Um, and uh, that is um, uh, tremendously destructive for the planet. We know that, right? And uh, so if we want, um, if we want, it, it's really a matter of our own survival in a lot of ways. If we want to be able to continue to survive on this planet, we also need to be um, uh, uh, cognizant of the place and the role and the, um, uh, the integrity of um, other species in the biosphere. So I think that, uh, that, not that the Torah anticipated Darwin, but the Torah, I think, has a profound sensitivity to, uh, to the integrity of all the species in the biosphere, the power that human beings have to sustain the health of the planet, and the power that we have to destroy it as well. So, so, there's, so, the, so something is causing all the bees um, to, be, to be killed, not killed in the sense of extinction, but just they're dying. Do we and can we have a responsibility to replace the bee to do the cross-pollination that we talked about? Or, or are we playing God in that scenario? No, well, we're playing God the other way. I mean, the bees, I think, I, I don't know, I haven't been following the story that closely, but, I, but there, there are lots of theories as to why the bees are dying off. Uh, most of the theories have to do with some kind of man-made uh, impact, right? Uh, um, you know, uh, pesticides. I was going in that. Yeah, I was going at it. Not man causes the bees to die. Just is something that makes bees die, whatever it is. Not man-made that, that we can identify. Do we have a responsibility to keep that ecosystem going by trying to replace that function, or are we violating this law? That's a good question. Um, I, I'm not sure. Uh, most of the most of the instances, you know, most of the modern instances of, of extinction of species have man-made causes, right? And and I think the bees are one of them. I'm trying to think of of ones that don't. Um, you I'm know, like trying to follow the same example we've been using. Yeah, I mean, I. I, I, I Dinosaurs. Well, di like dinosaurs were, first of all, before human beings, but right, not a man-made cause, right? So would we have a responsibility to, uh, to save the dinosaurs if an asteroid came and blocked out the sun? I think we'd have problems of, of our own, right? But uh, um, I'm not sure. Probably not, right? Uh, um, uh, probably not. Um, does this say that we might give ourselves pause before bringing the dinosaurs back to life in some Jurassic Park kind of scenario? Maybe, right? Um, but, uh, um, um, so I don't know. Uh, I, I, I'm not, I, I'm having trouble coming up with a, with a, with an extinction of a species yeah. in our time that we are not responsible for.